Warning, what you are about to hear is born of long years of deep friendship, shared experience, brutal honesty, and the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Please, do not walk up to the first black or white person you know and start this sort of banter. It will not end well. Welcome to Racial Heresy, the show where two Episcopal priests, one black, one white, attempt to violate the racial, established racial doctrines of American culture and provoke you to do the same. Allow me to introduce Father Jabrell Ballantine, a dreadlocked, dreaming, job-read, writing, Ethiopian, orthodox-loving, free-range priest in sit-in, loving, lunch counter, eating, moving on up to the deluxe apartment in the sky, priest, husband, father, friend, and all-around good Negro. Lord have mercy, and this is my brother, Father Case Ramey, a privileged, perpetuating, culture-appropriating, generational wealth-perpetuating, James Baldwin-quoting, Ta-Nehisi quotes-reading, priest, husband, father, friend, and all-around high-quality cracker. How are you, my brother? Oh, I am doing just fine there, just fine, having a wonderful day. How about yourself? You know, I'm doing all right. I see you got some extra ad-libs in your tank today. Look at you, you know, did some homework. That's all right. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, we have with us a sister from another mister, way out in the West Coast, doing all that she can to upset the status quo, Dr. Robin D'Angelo. How are you, my sister? Oh, I'm wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. So nice of you to join us. We don't often have guests on here. Not too many people brave enough to come on air with us. And we're so grateful to have you enter into the lair and, and, and endure our, our banter. It is a delight. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So, Brother Case, what, what do we have on tap for tonight? And what, are we, what are we doing with these people this time? Uh, this 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 is a, a rare treat. Um, we do want to mark this actually the first time we have a guest here, and so we're on our best behavior and putting our best foot forward uh, for our guest. And so tonight we want to talk about the doctrine uh, just from a place of, of confidence. You know, like I said, that best foot forward. We're going to talk about the doctrine that is so clear in our culture, and and that we have come leaps and bounds. That we we are far out in front of where we used to be. We're just in so much of a better place now because we, the church, are strong, brother. We are strong out there fighting racism, out there doing the good work, out there being the church, just from a place of of strength and confidence, and and just working it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. You know, this church, you know, especially for our Episcopal church, you know, this church is, is doing all these things to fight racism. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I hear about it all. You know, there's and around the country, people are lining up to do work on, on, on race. And, you know, every priest has to take an anti-racism training once in their career. And, mm-hmm. you know, we ordain black priests. And I'm one of those black priests. They even let this house Negro get up in the big house. Amen. And put me on the executive council, thanks be to God. And, you know, just recently appropriated $2 million. That's a lot of money. $2 million for racial justice and reconciliation work at the same time electing a black bishop, a black man, to head the church and to be the top dog. Lord have mercy. We are truly, truly, truly strong and fighting the good fight, keeping the faith, you know, finishing the race. Thanks be to God. We are leading the way in terms of how to solve racism 
and show that this can be overcome. Is that what you're saying? Amen. That is that is the doctrine on which we stand tonight, brother. It is it is solid. It is a rock. Um, it is a it is a rock in in our foundation. It is where we are at, and it is something that I am proud to step forward and have you highlight so eloquently. Um, oh, you know, I I try my best to to articulate things on behalf of the white man. That's what we are, you know, paid or underpaid to do. And so it is my pleasure to be there for you, my brother. But. You know, I, I, as as all of our listeners probably know by now, it's never that simple with us. It's, <laughs> it's never that simple. There's always a monkey wrench. And so this is particularly why we wanted you on, sister, to, to, to talk about this um, from an institutional standpoint, how it is that we come around always thinking that we have done so much work. And this is not to negate the work that actually has been done, but how we think that we have done so much work and if anybody were to tell us otherwise, were to challenge us on the effectiveness on, of, of the work that we've done, then everybody throws their hands up and we all want to rock away. Can, 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 can you shed a little light on that, sister? Well, my first thought when uh, case opened with you've been fighting racism, right, was what does that actually look like? right, for the church to be fighting racism. And it sounds like it looks like inclusion, right? So, you know, if you're going to point to what are we actually doing, well, look, we're including all these people. Uh, but whiteness remains unexamined. And I think actually whiteness is the most toxic uh, environment and dynamic for people of color. And it makes it very difficult for people of color to stay, right? So, yeah. yeah hear about these brutal, you know, violent executions and murders and things that are happening. Matter of fact, just today, another black man killed by police. Right. Uh, most of us don't relate to that, right? Um, and so we, we think about it in these really simplistic terms, that it's really just a matter of open-mindedness and inclusion, right? But again, the norms, the policies, the practices make it kind of deadly up there in a different kind of way, right, for people of color. Right. Yeah, so, so, so why, why is inclusion not the end-all, be-all, not the answer, in your opinion? Because, first of all, there's an unmarked norm that isn't being uh, questioned, right? So I'm going to include you, but include you in what, right? It's, it's very condescending. It's very patronizing. I will allow you to be with me, right? Oh. I'm not going to shift or change. You get to come here, you know, come up in here with me. Uh, that that's kind of the foundation that it's sitting on, and the internalized superiority for white people is inevitable. There is no way any white person in this society misses the message that it's better to be white, that we are you know the most legitimate people to run everything, and so when we do start to open those doors and include, um, and if you challenge us, we're not going to respond very well, and that's what I call white fragility, right? The inability right. to. Challenges and one of those challenges is to our self-image as good open people, right? I think one of the most brilliant adaptations of racism post-civil rights is you make being a moral person and complicity with racism mutually exclusive, and that that seems like a positive change, right? Now racism, right. but how does it actually function? It makes it virtually impossible to talk to any white person about our inevitable patterns and our inevitable internalized superiority. Uh, we see that as a moral um, outrage, right? right? And so 
all of our energy goes into deflecting, negating, providing evidence that it couldn't possibly be what you think it is. Of course, from my un uninformed and unexamined perspective, I'm going to tell you as a black man that you're wrong about racism. So all of those dynamics are not addressed. And so it ends up being rather, um, rather a hostile environment. I mean, and I would ask you, do you find what I'm saying to be your experience? Oh, yeah, de <laughs> definitely. Um, it's found to be my experience. You know, I'm in a church where nine times out of ten, um, I am one of the few black faces in the room. You know, I, I can speak about how, you know, being a clergy in the Diocese of Central Florida, 88 churches, there's about four um, black priests who are the heads of churches in, in, in out of those 88. Um, so when we have, wherever we go to clergy meetings, so on and so forth, you know, you, you you are the elephant in the room. You know, um, so so yeah, and 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 by and large, you know, historically, in in my own experience in this church, it has been a matter of you know, you got to play by the rules that we have set. We we're willing to let you be at the table, as yeah. long as you abide by a certain set of rules, you can stay at the table. But the minute you don't abide by the rules that we have set forth, you can no longer play at the table. Um, right. How would you provide cover for us, right? So we can point to you and say, right. look, look how open we are. Oh, yeah. Um, not that that's not important. It's just that there's there's some very deep personal work that's ongoing and lifelong that has to happen to truly transform the institutions. Just mere inclusion uh, alone won't do that. And I'm, I'm glad you went there because that was going to be my, my, my next question in terms of how – how fragility plays out institutionally in order to, um, I don't want to lead with the question, but in order to affect what exactly we're talking about. Um, yeah, you know, I recently asked, uh, a, I was doing a, a presentation and I asked a room full of people, uh, asked the people of color in the room, what would your daily experience be like in the institution if you could simply name the dynamics the policies, the practices, the, the you know cross-racial dynamics that were happening, um, and have white people hear that, right? Hear it, uh, receive it with grace, reflect on it, and seek to change our behavior. How would that affect your daily experience? Um, and the first thing I ask is, have you ever had that go well for you? Uh, <laughs> you know, eye rolling, and so what would it be like if you could simply tell us, right, point it out? Uh, and a man recently said to me, it would be revolutionary. Amen. And I really asked white folks to to hear that revolutionary that we would receive that feedback with grace reflect on it, and seek to change our behaviors. That's how difficult we are, right? So if you're at that table in the institution and you say, you know, there's this decision we're about to make here that's going to have an effect on people of color that I know you're not seeing, but I'm here to help you see that, um, and that's not received well, which it, it usually is not. Right. Uh, that's what he's talking about, that, that you could simply say that and we could say, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, let's make sure we attend to that, that right. you you just pointed out, um, that it would be revolutionary for us to do that. And that, that's how difficult we are. And, and also that's how simple this is, right? Um, we're in water that we, the current moves us. We don't see the current. We don't see the water. Um, and yet when someone tries to point it out to us, we get very, very defensive, 
hurt feelings, angry, offended, insulted, and essentially block the the opening that you know that needs to happen. Yeah, you, you know, and, and and as I cut out the white man, I haven't let him get a word in yet. But <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, when 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 you say that. It's very astutely put that it, it is so simple, you know. That, that so 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 what is it, in your estimation, what is it that prevents that from happening in these institutions? I see I see several threads. So one, probably the foundational one, is what I call the good bad binary. To to post civil rights for a white person to be complicit with racism became extremely bad. Right. Um, I think it's probably the worst thing you could call a white person uh, is racist. Right. It, it's worse than, you know, <laughs> I don't know what else. There's no other word that, that causes that kind of reaction um, that. So I think it's this idea that I would that you're saying I'm a bad person. It's not understanding the power of implicit bias that much of what. Um, what drives our behavior across race is not conscious. So there's all kinds of ways I'm exuding my superiority, but I'm not aware that I'm doing that. Uh-uh. It's this uh, deep ideology of individualism. We're all unique, and we can just choose to be unaffected by, you know, by the culture that we're embedded in. Um, it's the lack of critical thinking, the lack of being given our history, we're deeply uninformed, we're arrogant, you know, all of those things come together to cause us to just respond really, really poorly. And we think that it's all about niceness. If I'm just nice to you now and I go to lunch with you every now and then, like I'm totally good to go. And niceness is not courageous. It's not right. courage. And it takes courage to get racism on the table and keep it on the table. Um, you know, in the face of all of those dynamics I just named. So niceness is not the answer, but we have this really simplistic idea that it's all about what I'm aware of and my intentions and my smiling and my, you know, tolerance, quite frankly. Right, right, right. You know, I mean, let me let me invite the white man to speak. Mr. Brother. <laughs> so generous, so generous. <laughs> Well, I, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Where to begin? Wow, where to begin? Um, just because I, I think I, I hear. I'm gonna try and hear like, like a lot of my sisters and brothers out there. I think might, might hear some of this stuff, right? And, and I've heard things like lifelong and, um, and. Uh, this this implication that there's going to be repeat failures. I mean, almost constant. The the sort of you know messing up or 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 offending people or getting it wrong. You know, I hear um, this. Y'all sitting here talking about well, this is easy, and and we're talking about a categorical shift in behavior, not 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 just in like you know like you said, not just being nice to somebody. I mean, just, just this categorical and just as complete shift in how one sees the world. And, um, and I think that sounds to, to a lot of folks out there, a lot of folks uh, who look kind of like me out there, uh, like everything up until this point has kind of been worthless. And, um, and there's really very little hope going forward. Um, you know, how, how do we, how do we, how do we respond to that? The, the default of our society is racial inequality. The default is racism, right? Across every institution, there is empirical evidence 
that there's racial inequity, right? right. Um, the average white person doesn't have to see it, doesn't have to think about it, but on some level, I think all white people know that we leave it, live in a deeply racist society, and all you have to do is look at statistics, again, across every institution from well-meaning white folks, right? The, the school-to-prison pipeline, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? Medical field, every field. And so once you recognize that, then you have to ask yourself, so how is my... Uh, not wanting to make that sh that shift or that change working for me, right? Well, I mean, it's working for me great if if I want to just protect my privilege, but if I want to align my values with the actual practice of my life, yes, it requires some kind of change. If I want to go to bed at night and lay and lay there and be able to reconcile my conscience uh, that I was not silent today, right? Right. Um, not just carry on. Um, I'm going to have to take those risks. And it is incredibly transformative. I wish white folks understood how liberating it is. Right? I mean, it's easy not to come up against it if you live in the segregation that most of us live in, but all that tension across race, all that fear, all that guilt, it, it, it's absolved when you actually um, start from the premise that, of course, I have deeply internalized racist worldview. I mean, there's no way I could avoid it. I was born into this culture. Um, and it, the only way, if I start from that premise, then I'm actually welcoming that feedback, that change, that, that upset within me, because um, that's the way I'm going to get to liberation, basically, right? It's a gift. It's, it's like, it's thrilling. Like, thank yeah. you so much for pointing out that blind spot. I didn't know I had it. I don't want it. I don't want to keep acting from it. Thank you. How exciting. <laughs> right, right, right. But it's, it's almost like, you know, admitting that. Yes. Admitting that blind spot, admitting that, um, that like lack, I guess. Eye? Right, that right, right. It's eye? almost like admitting that admitting that almost is akin to admitting weakness and, and admitting some sort of shortcoming, admitting some sort of failure. You, you right? You know, you know what I'm saying, bro? Right. It's, and it's like, you know, I didn't choose my socialization, but I did get it. Um, and at this point I am responsible for challenging it. Right. For, um, in, and, and I say to groups of people when I, when I walk them through and can made my case and they're with me and they understand what I'm saying. And when I walk in the room and say all white people have a racist view on the world because we're socialized to have that. I, I don't lead with that when I walk in a room because, you know, <laughs> white folks go crazy. But when I'm done, um, remember that, have you ever been around a group of turkeys, you know, and you go, boo, and then turkeys, Whoa! like right. that's what happens. You walk in a room with white folks and start to kind of lay this stuff out. Um, but I'm very effective at this point in my life at walking them there. And then I say to them, you know, you see it now, but nothing outside this room will compel you to continue to see this. In fact, the forces are incredibly seductive and there's social penalty for seeing this and naming this. Um, and you know you can choose to just say, well, wasn't that an interesting workshop or discussion or talk, and now I'm just going to go carry on with my life. But I ask folks to do something for me, right? I say, that's your choice, but I want you to do something for me if, if, you, if you make that choice. And let's get clear, it is a choice, right? right? There's no neutral place to be, to be, to not interrupt racism is to collude with racism. So if you're going to make that choice, then look at yourself in the mirror tonight and say, I, I um, 
what's the word I want? Um, I'm choosing to collude with white supremacy. Mm. You know, and then carry on with your life. But let's do it with honesty, because that's what that. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> oh, I, right. I, I have actually said it to many groups of of white people, and right. I live right. to tell. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm saying I dare them to look themselves in the mirror and say that. Because um, it's, yeah, it's quite it's profound hard, when, when, when you're forced to look yourself in the eye and, and come to grips with those, with those truths. Um, and the question then becomes, you know, how do we transform institutions to get institutions um, to be on that wavelength, to be challenging status quo, to not simply accept the low-hanging fruit as the sunnum bunum of their, um, you know, their charge against against oppression, against racism. Um, how do you begin to move institutions in such a way where they can challenge um, um, racism? And I think, I think, case, I see you chomping at the bit. I, th I think you have something to say to that. Well, well, I, I do, and and I I, I heard some. Um... I heard some hope uh, start creeping into into what was actually getting through uh, into my brain out of out of this conversation that that uh, we've been having tonight, and um, and some real resonances, some deep resonances as we think about um, you know we can think about transforming institutions in general. We can think about particularly transforming the church, which is um, one of the places. I mean, uh, where our ministry is, it also extends far beyond that. But but at least as a starting point, and I I hear words like liberation. And transformation, and I hear um, uh, us talking about radical humility and and, and radical honesty, even uh, and kind of you know choosing choosing both um, in the same moment it, as a place of of liberation and transformation. And I think that that search kind of brings us to our our heresy for tonight. Um, you know, we've got this doctrine that said the starting place that said uh, we're strong. And and we're out there fighting. We the church, we're we're in a strong place. And the and the heresy that I hear uh, you two especially preaching tonight is that we are weak. We the church, um, we the individuals, we're weak, uh, broken, and fragile. And that that is good news. <laughs> I'm thinking about pride is weak, right? For pride is easy to knock down. And so the degree that we think we're good to go and we're fine and we march. 60s and you know I'm always thinking wow you march in the 50 years ago you walked alongside black people and you are certified for life that is amazing um, but anyway right that sense that that of um, arrogance and uh, is actually make, makes us very very weak and yes radical humanity is, is what we're looking for yeah and 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 and, and you know, closer to home than marching 50 years ago. You got clergy that, you know, they took one, you know, um, you know, one racial, you know, training, one anti-racism training at their ordination 10 years ago, and they've checked the box. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. You know, I know all there is to know about racism, and, and, and I'm healed. Um, and, 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 and you're right. It's like that pride goes before destruction. You know, pride goes before the fall. That's what Solomon says, and they say that he was the wisest man that ever lived. So I think he has something to say. And you know, it's realizing that that weakness, realizing that, admitting that, is where we find true strength. You know, it's almost like what Paul says in as as Donald Trump would say, two Corinthians, 
as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, my grace is all you need. That's what God tells him. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, you know? And, and so that's, you know, we take pleasure in that weakness, not like we delight in it and we can, and we can just, you know, bask in it, but we, we, we own that weakness. We embrace that weakness. We don't shy away from that weakness and try to downplay that weakness, but rather we, we openly admit that weakness because when we can, when we can openly admit that weakness, then we can be, begin to let the Lord make it as easy as you said it is, Robin, because it really is as simple as you laid it out. It's so simple, but we can't get there from where we are now, you know, the way we get set up, right? right. And, you know, this, a white person says to me, oh, I already know this. They've just told me that they don't. Right. I mean, they think they've told me that they know this, but, but they haven't, right? Because this is the most complex and nuanced social dynamic since the founding of this country, right? right. And what other, what other complex, nuanced uh, social dynamic would you say I thought about it once I never need to think about it again I never need to discuss it again and and I'm and I'm good to go right um, and th this brings up the concept of being an ally right if you guys heard of that that yeah. you know ally is somebody from the, the dominant group who who's committed to kind of challenging the oppression yeah. um, and I actually don't call myself an ally, right? I am, and I don't call myself an anti-racist either. My life work is committed to challenging racism, but how well I'm doing in any given moment is for people of color to decide. I am the least qualified to assess whether I understand this or not. I have investments, deep investments in this in this system that feels good, that has affirmed me from the moment I open my eyes. How could I not be invested in it? Um, yeah. I work hard to identify those spots, but they're slippery, um, and I need to be on my toes for the rest of my life. And it's really for people of, of color to decide if in any given moment I'm behaving in anti-racist ways. And that reminds me that it's ongoing, it's demonstrated in every moment, it's never done, I'm never complacent. But that, I mean, for me, honestly, um, the meaning of life is in continual growth. Why else are we here if we're not right. continually growing and being challenged? I, I find it, I mean, you can hear by the way I talk that I see myself as thoroughly saturated in, in racism, right? And right. I'm clearly not a disempowered person. I, I'm not wringing my hands with guilt. It's the most exciting intellectually, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, um, stimulating work I have ever Ever engaged in it's I wish wish white people could just see how fantastic it is to truly align our practices with our values to be transformed instead of conforming to be transformed to the realities um, as we in the church might call the, the the realities of the gospel the realities of the good news um, the realities of of the radically humble um, and and radically I don't know, just radically radical uh, Christ that came with these concepts that say, um, no, this weakness for us is good news. Pulling the plank out of our own eye and, and examining ourselves is good news. This is a place of liberation and transformation, and we will be transformed. And that is the work that we have for the life um, that, that we're already living and we're already discussing and we're already trying. Um, yeah. and, and that is good news. That is the heresy of the gospel tonight. Amen. Amen. Is that admitting that we are that we are weak, that we are fragile, that we as an institution, as a church, are 
are, are, are incredibly weak, that those accolades and all these things that we do are, are, are veneer. Um, but the reality is that we are weak. And, and, and the key thing that you said, Robin, that humility of which you speak, um, I know it's always off-putting. Humility is the most uh, confusing thing because it's always off-putting to us. But that is, as an institution, and specifically talking about the church as an institution, that is the call of the church. That is the call of the gospel, the call of humility, the way of repentance. That, you know, we, if the moment that we think that we have got it figured out, we have fallen far off course. And so we should reject that. The minute we say, oh, yeah, I've worked this racism thing out, we should realize that that's the enemy tricking us and we have fallen off course because the way of the gospel is the way of repentance. And that's the heresy that we invite you into, beloved brothers and sisters. That's the heresy that we want to share with you this evening, that you realize that we are truly fragile. We are weak. We have not done everything that we are supposed to do. In the mainline churches, we say we, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Mm. Um, and in those things, we realize that our journey, our life is about that way of repentance. And by embracing that work, embracing that weakness, that fallen state, that, that hole, that fragility, by, by coming to grips with that and, and admitting that, then indeed we can find the hope that we need in order to come to that place that is indeed beloved community. Amen. 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 <laughs> and so, you know, I want to thank you, Robin, for coming and helping us shed some light on this issue and, and, and opening our eyes to these things on how indeed we as an institution, as the church, whether it's headed by a black person or not, how we as a church play into these things and have fallen short of the call to which we have been called. Brothers and sisters out there, I'd like for you to take a look, robindiangelo.com, R-O-B-I-N-D-I-A-N-G-L-E-O. -I, -E I think I spelled that right off the top of my head. Uh, mm -hmm. Robindiangelo.com. She has tons of books and tons of videos and all sorts of great stuff for you all to check out and just, you know, dive in some more. Because as you said, this is a great conversation and you all can listen to this and be affected for these 20 minutes, these 30 minutes, and then walk away and remain unchanged. And so we want to put before you Robin D'Angelo's work so that hopefully you would go forward and keep invested, keep um, diving in more and more and peeling back the onion layers of this thing called whiteness, of this thing called privilege. So thank you so much, sister, for being with us. I appreciate you. Oh, I love you guys both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Brother White Man, you want the last word? No, I, I got, I, well, I guess I just got it. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I can take the last word. Oh, yeah, there we go. Get a woman the last word. Go ahead. <laughs> In speaking to that kind of the, the lifelong nature of this work, here's what I can tell you after 20 years of really committing my life to it. I do less harm to people of color than I used to do, and that's no small thing. That could be one more hour on somebody's life, right? You know, the white racism kills people. Right, high blood pressure, hypertension, heart disease, diabetes. These are these are stress-related diseases. These are racism-related diseases. My unconsciousness, those those you know thousand little paper cuts, uh, those microaggressions. Right, it's not the extreme stuff out there. It's the way that white folks are around this topic. It's the way we go silent. It's our apathy. It's our arrogance. Our certitude. And when you can bring that down, you do less harm. And again. I just have to repeat it. 
um, I have this image of like a potato pillar, you know, and all of our white fragility is just like shaving another hour off people of color's lives, you know? And yeah. so, you know, all of the, you know, you interact with me, Jabril, uh, up there in the, you know, the council meeting, and I'm running something at you that, you know, you can, hours of you, you know, agonizing about whether to talk to me about it, or should you, or shouldn't you, or should you let it go? I mean, have you had that experience? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am black. <laughs> Those are hours off of your life. So to say that I do less harm um, is is a really powerful outcome. It's not a small thing. Amen. 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 So we appreciate you, and um, thank you all for listening, for taking the time. Again, please, um, you know, feel free to post your comments, your feedback to us on YouTube on on. Not on YouTube, we're on iTunes. I'm sorry. On iTunes, on, on Facebook, wherever you may be, um, on RobinDeAngelo.com as well. Let her know what you think. And until next time, I'm Father Jabril. And I'm Father Case. Imploring you to risk it all and exercise whatever power, whatever privilege you have to become a racial heretic. And now here it is, your moment of sin. There's all black colleges, there's all black churches, nobody complains. But if whites have all black, all white college, all white church, they're racist. I think it comes from a history of the fact that they so had to because of segregation. They had to establish their own schools and churches. Yeah, African Americans. Well, that's true. And everybody got along good back then. Sorry, say that again. Just the segregation. Everybody got along good. Thank you for listening to Racial Heresy. Be sure to visit our website racialheresy.com to post your questions, comments, and feedback, and to share your own stories of life as a racial heretic. Want to hear more? You can find past episodes of Racial Heresy on iTunes and the Racial Heresy website. Want to hear even more? Invite Racial Heresy to speak at your conference, council, church, training, or event. Email us at ebonyandivory at racialheresy.com or visit our website for information on speaking engagements.